Welcome back to the Adrian Bowe podcast featuring Troy Malcolm. AB, we have been coming to our listeners on a weekly basis talking about all things real estate and really interviewing the very best real estate professionals that happen to work for McGrath, but they've been giving us insights and tips and tricks on how their business has become so successful. Now, we've been traveling around the grounds a lot over the last month, and we recently celebrated the McGrath Awards Night only last Thursday night. So not only have we uh, acknowledged a fantastic year within the business of McGrath, but we're really excited about what the next 12 months offers. And I think today's episode and today's person that we're interviewing kind of ties really closely into that because having been out of McGrath for a number of years, but longevity of being in the business for over nine years, Richard Shaloub has continued to bring not only a level of professionalism, a level of exclusivity and a level of service that is unparalleled in the eastern suburbs and in the CBD markets. We've also noticed that he's come back into our business and looking forward to the next 12 months, that's something we're going to tap into and really focus on because I believe it's a really exciting time for the very best agents to differentiate themselves from all our competitors. You've been working closely with Richard and you've seen his progress over the years at McGrath but also watched a very close eye on him uh, before we introduce him. What excites you most about today's interview? I just love, Troy, Richard's niche market of that CBD and especially what's happening over there with Barangaroo and the casino. There's just some amazing infrastructure in place um, and vertical living is really the way it's headed, uh, certainly for CBD, looking at where we are um, in terms of our, our world presence when you look at New York, London and other international cities. So, Richard, mate, over to you. Hopefully that is consistent with your thinking because you're the expert in this market. So uh, is that the way you see Sydney as an international city headed? Absolutely. I think we've become more and more of an international city, um, particularly when comparing to other parts of the world. You know, we've seen a huge shift in the CBD Harbour Front lifestyles over the last uh, probably five to ten years. I suppose going 10 years plus ago when I first started in that marketplace, it was still a destination for a lot of corporates, mm. um, professionals. You know, people would work in the city. You know, yeah. It would be a, an out-of-line thing to almost live in town. But we've seen a shift from young families that typically would go and buy a house with a bit of dirt in the backyard to taking that lifestyle choice and moving into town, which, which I did with my wife and, and, and two children. Mm. Uh, we've since moved back to the suburbs, but we've seen empty nesters into that space now, which is... Um, uh, almost a, a top pick for them to go and live in town, Harbourfront, CBD, high-rise buildings. Mm. So, yeah, huge shift in, in centre. Interesting, CBD. interesting. And, Richard, you know, obviously we've got a lot of agents listening and what they may not know about your market is that if you enter your market as an agent tomorrow, you don't necessarily have the luxury of things like door knocking and RP data because that is really a stepping stone into lead generation, right? Mm. If you were in the suburbs, uh, you know, one of the first... Uh, lead generation activities you would undertake would be door knocking and would be, you know, cold calling off RP data. Both of those things are almost impossible for your market because you've got concierge, you've got, um, you know, you've got issues around actually getting access to those buildings and also the data isn't always available. So what, what are the, the lead generation activities for, a, for you still as an existing agent in Momentum and for any of your new agents that are entering, joining your business today? Sure. So two parts of that. I suppose if we start with where I am today, uh, 16 years into that marketplace, mm-hmm. it's now about nurturing. It's yeah. about um, keeping a tighter database, mm-hmm. keeping better records, uh, servicing past clients. Uh, bringing in new clients as well at the same time. So majority of my business will come from repeat clients, uh, referrals off those clients, dealing with those that were once buyers that now become vendors. 
Um, but at the same time, marketing ourselves to continuously grow that database mm. and bring new people into the into our little business. If I track back 16 years when I first started, it was a very different dynamic. So uh, was in that marketplace without any network, without any database, without any record. So for me, it looked like a listing a property in a building. Mm-hmm. I put the signboard out at five o'clock on a on a weeknight, knowing that people start coming home at five o'clock. Mm. Uh, we have this apartment to sell. Uh, I'm Richard from McGrath, uh, introduced myself, gained their details, built the database that way. So I took every opportunity to stand at a concierge mm. or in front of an apartment to start building data. Uh, expired listings were a huge thing for me. So, mm. again, I was up against three very established uh, experienced agents mm. that had presence in our market when I started. Mm-hmm. But what I found was there was a niche to pick up listings off the back of them that weren't selling. Now, back then, they were $20,000 marketing campaigns. We very quickly learned that a four-week auction process and $20,000 wasn't the way to sell a, a property. Mm. So we'll pick them up at the tail and sell them second time around. The biggest thing was building that data, though, because not having a targeted list of people to chase, you, you sort of have nowhere to fire the gun. Mm. You know mm. where you're shooting it. You know what you're chasing. So data was key, and any opportunity to get in front of people, build that database, um, was, was the way that we established And that's what I remember, Adrian. I remember, Richard, when you first started the business, um, everyone was, it was always in awe and still is in awe of the way that you manage your clients and your database because you were known for representing and having almost ownership over a number of buildings in Walsh Bay, in Barangaroo, in Millers Point, in the Rocks, uh, because everyone knew that you were the expert in that area and you knew price per square metre, you knew the aspect, you knew what people were looking for, but you also knew the benefits and features of each one of those. Is that something that made made you attracted to selling in that area? Like, I I kind of am interested in that because it's hard to identify. If you had no database, no market knowledge, and really no one in that area that you knew, how did you identify that market as the one that you wanted to be in? Yeah, sure. So to, at the very start, I fell into a listing at yeah. Walsh Bay, which is what introduced me to that precinct. Mm-hmm. I very quickly fell in love with the place, been on the harbour front, beautiful views, uh, harbour bridge, great lifestyle attraction. It was very quickly to, to uh, sorry, very easy, I should say, to, to find that love affair with that precinct and sort of get off the ground running. So what I then did was I identified the buildings that I wanted to sell in. Mm-hmm. So I didn't particularly take a stance that I wanted to sell in every building in the 2000 postcode. I picked the eyes out of what I felt were the better buildings, the premium buildings and the buildings that I felt I could penetrate. Mm. I then went and built the data on those specific buildings um, and it was it was in time. It took a long time to get started and it was one listing, then it was a second one, then it was a third one, then it was a sale and then that's what spiraled uh, into what's probably been a successful business over time. Interesting. Also, yeah. one of those ones was the founder's uh, residential building yes. in Walsh Bay, which is always hard, right? You go to the leader of a business and you're selling their market, you always know you're going to have a close eye watching your every move and making sure that you're doing everything right. So yeah. congratulations on that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I suppose, Richard, just listening to you know how a more traditional market would have access to door knocking, would have access to RP data and the like, You'd be almost, you know, revering those agents going, going, going like, wow, guys, you don't know how easy you've got it. I wish I had access to that. And, look, I, I think it's an important point because as coaches, and Troy and I, you know, we, we, we look at ourselves as coaches, it's our job to see what agents can't see and hear what agents can't hear. And you know what? 
most agents suffer from excusitis where they've got excuses for everything. And anyone listening to this, like this is us trying to help you guys. This is not us trying to dictate to you what's right and what's wrong because you've got a guy here who has less access to information yet still finds a way around it, i.e. standing out the front of buildings, i.e. maybe getting hold of strata plans, getting contacts with concierge. So you just find you find a way around it, right? Um, so I think it's really critical for us to identify that you know, the market will always exist externally, which you have no control over, and then there's the inner market, which you do have full control over, which you, which is things like standing at the door, getting hold of strata plans, always finding a way. You know, do, do you agree with that? Yeah, playing a game, you can win. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's about, I suppose we've got the theory, no two sales are the same, no two yeah. markets are the same. So for us, it was, well, for me, it was finding a way that would allow me to penetrate the market that I wanted to work in. So door knocking couldn't have happened. I couldn't stand at the front of a 140-apartment building buzzing every apartment that wouldn't gain traction. So I had to find a way to those people. And, yes, there was building relationships with building managers, with concierges, with people in the buildings, with referring in the building, um, getting success to those people that own one way or another. So we'd sell a property. Uh, a lot of our deals were done off-market. Off-market deals are great, but what we need to do with an off-market deal is make it an on-market success story. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to get that off-market sale to the hands of those that own in the building. So whilst it was all done on the low down, we need them to know about our success, which then, again, skyrocketed over, uh, sorry, snowboard over time. Yeah. Um, so, yes, we found a way. We, we didn't rest on the excuse of not being able to access people. Mm-hmm. We just made sure one way or another we built that data that over time progressively that we ended up with 85% of people's details. Mm-hmm. Which is the database that I have today that then yeah, is a much easier point of contact with people that aren't there, which is help maintaining a market share. We, we talk about this, Adrian, mm-hmm. almost to a point that we get frustrated but mm-hmm. excited. Yeah. So frustrated in the point that data is such a key element of our business. And you just heard from Richard talking about 85% clean data coming into his database. Every interaction he has, he's focused on creating clients for life past clients. Mm-hmm. The frustration part is that a lot of listeners on this podcast have heard us say this now multiple times. Mm. Uh, the exciting thing is, is what's possible if you actually get it right. Yeah. You'll grow a business of abundance. You'll have clients coming back to you not only once, twice, three, four, five times over their careers, over their life cycle, where they're going to be buying and selling property through you. Mm. Now, I know that we focus on this a lot at McGraw, and it's part of our training suite of offering, is to make sure we identify who do we put into our database and then how do we nurture them. Mm. And, Richard, if we can kind of talk a little bit about that, because you're dealing with so many clients that, I guess, love the area as much as you do selling in that, what are some of the elements that you've noticed get the best traction with those past clients in staying in touch with them? Sure. So good old-fashioned phone call goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably, well, certainly not the most uh, effective person on social media or technology, so my, my methods of contact are very basic. Um, phone call when you sell something is always good. A phone call when you list something is always good to relevant people. Mm-hmm. One thing I've learned over years, relevant information to certain people. So we do the odd blanket drop and the, the odd email um, to the bulk database, but we find specific target marketing to um, individual people or, or specified groups is more effective. So if we've sold something in Millers Point, in the Millers Point Terrace Home database, it's important for those terrace owners to, to receive something on that. Uh, for our buyers, they want to know what's for sale. Mm-hmm. They want to know what's selling because it's an education process point. So we've tried to scale it back to relevant marketing 
Uh, we try not to go out there beating our chests, sort of saying how great we are, because I think the industry's done that for long enough, and people don't really respond to that. Mm. But what people tend to want to know is uh, when you list something, what the price guide is, when it's open, how many bedrooms, lots of nice photos, and when you sell something as well, the price. So we're very transparent. It's one thing I, I, I took on board from John years ago when I first started was transparency, price guides. Um, so all our marketing, most of our copies online, unless there's sensitivity with the owners, mm. go out there with guided transparency. So we share as much information as we can. Um, that, that has worked very well for me in building those relationships with people, building a, uh, a transparent brand, and I suppose just sharing information. Um, it's yeah. just what's relevant. You couldn't, you couldn't be more accurate, Richard, because you put yourself in a buyer's shoes, and, and you've been a buyer, Troy and I have been mm. buyers, and there's nothing more important happening in your life apart from that time of your focus, energy, mindset. It's all around frustration and anxiety. Um, and so it's already hard enough. But agents almost go out of their way to make it even harder by not publishing price guides, not having contracts available, not having a Peston building or a strata report up front. You know, all these things which are just insane, really. And, you know, I think that agents can attract so much more business by simply turning the dial around ease of trade. You know, because if you look at Jeff Bezos, his main mantra is, you know, the speed at which we do business at Amazon, the ease at which we do business at, and the breadth of products we offer. Like, that's one well, just one, one of the two biggest companies on the planet, right? And that that's his daily mantra. It's insane. So I think the ease of business and the speed and the urgency of doing business is critical. Um, and coaching, and you, we've just touched on it, 10% of it is really telling people what to do in real estate and 90% is damn well working out why the hell they're not doing it because the 10% is, hey, if you prospect for two hours in the morning and you have two face-to-face meetings in the afternoon every day, five days a week, 50 weeks of the year, guess what? Your business can look very different to what it does today. And the super agents who do four hours of prospecting and four face-to-face meetings, well, then they go to a next level, you know? So... With your business, because you, you, you are now a one to two million GCI business rider, and but you started, you know, because we've known each other a long time when I worked for your dad and you were a young boy walking into the shop and your dad was was an was a early mentor of mine, as, as not many people know. Um, but when you first entered into the real estate, you obviously started as a one 200, you know, rider, not a one $2 million rider. W- what was it with McGuire in particular that actually assisted you on that journey of growth? Yeah, so I, I think, so going back in 2007 when I first started McGrath, and that was the, the nine-year stint that I'd done up until uh, recently, um, I think being around people that were doing it was a big mm. trigger point for me because, yeah. you know, yes, I started riding uh, 100,000, then 200, and then 400 was a good year, 500 was a cracking year, 700 was huge money. Um, and then being around people that at that point in time, you know, 12 years ago, that were riding one, two, and three million dollars, mm. if not more. It was like, okay, well, it can be achieved. Yes. And I suppose it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an unrealistic sort of goal until you see it, until mm. you can see that others can do it. If others can do it, I suppose we all can do it um, with the right tools and many. So there's some good infrastructure, good support behind it. But really, for me, it was just seeing people doing a lot, a lot more business uh, than what I was mm. uh, with a lower average sale price. You're a high volume agent. Mm-hmm. Adrian, you, you know, we're doing big numbers at that point in time. Mm-hmm. That was the, the view that it could be achieved. Brilliant. And and would you say that you in your in your sabbatical of you know when you when you weren't with us, 
you suffered from a bit of professionally loneliness and that's the reason you might have come back to, to surround yourself with those high achievers again? Yeah, look, I think, I mean, it was a, it was a good three years that I've had with a, a great brand and business was was uh, good and it was strong and it was, you know, all those things. But there's a lot more that you take on mm-hmm. running and operating a business, which mm-hmm. are aspects that, that I, I do enjoy and mm-hmm. I do enjoy. But there's a lot of light in also coming in, back into an environment where, you do have the infrastructure, you've got the tools, you've got the corporate support, you've mm. got um, people looking after the day-to-day operations of a business mm. that consume 80% of your time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, being around a good bunch of people is always you know, nice and it's a nice environment to work in. But, yeah, um, I think it's critical what you said because, I mean, high achievers' highest and best use all day long is to stay in their lane of listing and selling real estate. Yeah. It's a bit like a surgeon. If that surgeon... Uh, look to to do all the non-dollar productive work in their space, call it fix the lighting and make sure the utensils are lined up. You know, he or she, surgeon, could do three or four procedures in a day, not 12, and they do 12 because they've got someone doing all that other stuff. And yeah. a bit like you, Richard, you know, if you're running a business, you, you, it's possible you could only manage four transactions a month, not not 14, which if you're 100% focused on listing and selling for that 8, 10, 12 hour, whatever day, how many hours per week you dedicate to, then the probability of you selling 14 is very, very high. Yeah. I think it's, it goes without saying too, we need energy in what we yeah. do. We need energy, we need enthusiasm, we need feeling more. So you, you lose focus and one uh, wrong conversation can be a very costly conversation yeah. in in running a business, yeah, you are consumed and there's a lot that goes into all the, the minute details of a day-to-day operation and what I would find at certain points was by the time it came to focusing on selling, you're at the tail end of sort of what you had to get through through the day and you'd lose that energy, you'd lose that sort of sharp focus and uh, it's probably what you, yeah, it's almost like that sale should have taken precedent but there are other things that need to come first. Yeah. So stepping back into a purely a sales capacity, yeah, you know, I, I think for the first time in a long time, you've got, I've got that drive and I've got that really in mind yeah. to really get in there and, and just rip in and getting some, yeah, some great deals across the line. Right? It was, you actually took the words out of my mouth. That was why you're my next question. What excites you most about the next 12 months in your business with the team that you've got and also coming back into the McGrath, uh, I guess, network? Yeah, so uh, Vision, look, we're, we're doing a bit of planning at the moment, obviously, on team structure. What excites me most is to have a nice, clear run, yeah. listing real estate, selling real estate, mm-hmm. Um, giving the, you know, respectfully the headache to someone else to manage the <laughs> operations of the business, mm-hmm. running a very tight-knit team. Yep. Uh, Laura, who's my, my you know, right-hand person, off-site, she's been incredible. She's been a great asset to the business. Yeah, we've done some planning in, into what the next four months looks like nice. and just focusing purely on selling mm-hmm. and probably doubling or tripling our figures from what we did last financial year mm-hmm. is what excites me most. But having a clear sort of undiverted focus yep. on doing what I should be doing as a sales agent. Staying in your lane. And that's yeah. that's what I often hear because I talk to a lot of principals, uh, Richard, and, and a lot of them had or have aspirations of wealth creation, which is beautiful. Uh, however, they erroneously feel that opening your own office is a road to wealth creation. Now, I've made a career, as you know, over 26 years of working for McGrath and and buying investment property as a wealth creation. Let me tell you, every investment property, it doesn't have a photocopy, it doesn't have a front office manager, doesn't have a receptionist and doesn't have HR issues, right? And and a, a, you, you sleep at night and capital growth is there and yield is there. And as an agent, I can dedicate 8, 10, 12 hours a day on focusing on listing and selling real estate. So 
look, ambition is great. And if someone is a genuine entrepreneur and wants to progress that, that's great. But as we've all learned in the change landscape of our industry is that unless you've got scale, very hard to actually make a profit. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree anymore. In saying that, EBUs, what we call, so super teams, are extremely profitable because their only expense is is maybe one fixed labour cost, mm-hmm. one or two variable labour costs in associates, at your car and a bit of marketing. And and they're getting the lion's share of the commission these days because, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, you know, the 45, 50% model is is a thing of the past and that seems to be, you know, increased a little bit now. So it's a very, very profitable business unit if you're a super team and you're in momentum. Absolutely. That is, when you, when you run a fine-tooth comb over the numbers and look at them sensibly, um, I think there's a lot of... A lot of um, upside in running an effective sales business. Mm. And like you said, splits are generally more attractive. Yeah. Um, running costs of businesses are up, rents are up, yeah. wages are up. Construction, um, yeah. OPEX. Yeah. Well, and we, I definitely we, agree with that change in dynamics yeah. in the small business world. Yeah. I think there'll be a lot of consolidation with the larger players. Yes. Right? You know, you talk to the Macquarie Banks and, and people in that space, I think there's a changing landscape in our industry. Mm. And a lot of these, you know, sort of two and three and five people offices, I think will struggle coming forward. Yeah, and we've, we've done that as a study, Adrian, where we've noticed the, the retention or the, the money that business owners generally are making or retaining in their, in their ownership of a franchise office or just an office in general is around that 16%. When you become a salesperson, you've got a number of one or two team members, mm-hmm. that can be retained up to 41% of your comp split. Like, so the, the actual huge yeah. upside is you get to have fun. Listeners, what you haven't seen is when Richard started talking about what excites him about the next 12 months, he had a smile on his face talking yeah. about how Laura and him are just going to go and double and triple their figures. That's what you can't see on the audio. Yeah. Uh, but that's what we notice a lot. And we noticed the same thing uh, with our last interview, which was with John McBath. Yeah. He was saying exactly Identical. the same thing. A business owner that had a lot of team members that he was – having to, I guess, juggle multiple plates in the air at one time, he's now excited the fact that he can rely heavily on team structures and support from a head office point of view, but also he gets to focus on what he's best at and what he loves doing. And I think that's the differentiating thing about our business right now is that we're getting a number of those key people that have come back into our business that are already successful and will continue to be successful, but they see the benefit of the support and the platform that McGraw offers them, Adrian. Absolutely. Now, it's been a great uh, catch-up, Richard. We really appreciate it, and uh, we really respect your loyalty to the brand. And, uh, you know, the sabbatical, obviously, was a, was a good learning experience for you and a good growth experience, but it's great to have you back. I know that, that all the agents and all the team members are delighted. You're happy to be back. We're going to do some great business together. Uh, I can see that you're hyper-focused. You're going to double your business just without having distractions, and then you sprinkle a bit of Richard magic dust on top with the McGrath brand, then the, the sky's the limit. Thank you, guys. Good to chat. Perfect. Listeners, there you go. Another episode down of the Adrian Poe Bo podcast featuring Troy Malcolm. Uh, make sure you rate us five stars. If you visit iTunes, make sure you hit that like button and rate us five stars. We'll be back next week with another episode coming to you uh, interviewing another McGrath agent. But, hey, listen, if you've got any questions, please feel free to email adrianbow at mcgrath.com.au to give that feedback or anyone that you want us to interview over the next coming weeks. Looking forward to bringing you another episode in the next seven days. Until next time, listeners, thanks for tuning in.